0: Father, these um, verses in one sense are lofty, things we, we can read on paper and yet struggle to understand in our own lives. And so we pray that you would help us this morning, help us to see your goodness and kindness, your perfect plans and purposes even in the midst of horrible suffering at times. Be at work among us this morning, we pray. Amen. So we've, we've approached this passage from, from different ways on different weeks, different angles on different Sundays. One week we spoke about why it was that Christians so often get stunted in their growth, their Christ-likeness, why we're not as mature as we would like to be, why we get stuck, really. And we said week one, well, maybe, verse one to four, there's still a feeling of condemnation. There's a lack of assurance going on, a lack of security, always a little anxious. Are we okay with God? Is he really happy with us? And so with Paul, we said we need to look back to the cross to marvel at the reality of our status and our standing now in Christ. We are covered by his blood, we are forgiven, we are safe, we are loved, we are not condemned. Or maybe we said second week and third week that the, the slowing down has come because we struggle to remember who we now are in Christ in the present, our new status, our new reality. We're in the new family, do you remember? We have the new father, but, but the selfish self keeps on calling us. The text messages keep coming through and we keep listening. We, we pick up the phone and we go along even though we know we shouldn't. But Paul says, no, no you've been freed, liberated. Stop going back to the old familiar ways again. Or maybe our growth has slowed because rest of the chapter verse eighteen onwards in romans eight we've we 've lost sight of the hope that is ours. The groaning is too big and too much. The glory to come we kind of know it 's there, but but it doesn 't really shape us now. Do you remember we 're trying to look ahead, but it all just feels a bit foggy. Do you remember Florence trying to swim to Santa Catalina Island off the west coast of America? And you see, because we follow after Jesus and because we suffer as he did, and it can be really hard, bit by bit by bit we can drift into a kind of hopelessness. Maybe we started off vibrant and excited and joyful and we look back on those days, but now we're the proverbial grumpy old pew filler.
1: Maybe even we lack the assurance that God is there or that God is good. Or that we're
0: ever even going to finish this race at all? Will we ever even make it home again? Maybe that's our question. Well, this week and next in our little journey through Romans 8, Paul starts to deal with some of our doubts. And this week we're going to spend nearly two-thirds of our time in verse 28 We're going to dig right into it. We're going to chew it over. Why is that? Because it's such an important verse. It's a verse that's, I think, easily misunderstood, easily misapplied. And yet it is a vital verse for us to to grasp if we're going to keep growing as Christians. The two things I want you to take away from this morning. um, Verse 28, God is good. And then if you're a note taker, 29 to 30, God will get us home. But firstly, verse 28, God is good. And we know that in all things, all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I'm aware as I begin this that I do so with a level of trepidation. Different people in this room will be hearing um, this sermon through different lenses, from different contexts. We need to acknowledge that. Um, For some of us, maybe it is a theoretical thing. You've not got much hardship going on, really. You've not really had much hardship in the past. And it's been relatively painless so far. And your questions, perhaps, are more philosophical or theoretical or hypothetical. That's great. It's important we do some of the thinking beforehand. To be forewarned is to be forearmed when it comes to matters of suffering. And when you're in the mess and feelings are complicated and and painful and wobbly and there's no real foundation, then to be able to say, I'm going to keep trusting what I know to be true rather than what I feel to be true, is vital. It's good that we think about it beforehand. We do the work before in the text. To do the thinking on the fly when we are suffering, when we're being buffeted maybe too late, But I'm very aware as well that for some of us, the pain is real. Maybe stuff in the past, maybe stuff now. This may be very raw. And so as we look at this verse particularly together, please understand, I think there is a complexity and a mystery. There are questions we will still have at the end of this sermon. I think there are questions that we might still have when we see the Lord Jesus face to face. Answers are not easy. I'm aware that this verse may hurt But I think it does bring hope. So a few questions to ask of verse 28. The first one is, who is this a promise for? And the answer is, it is for those who love him. That is, I take it by implication, it is not for everyone. But it is just a promise for Christians. Now, no, that doesn't mean that God doesn't do good things in the lives of people who don't love him. Matthew 5, Jesus said that God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And the Bible often says God is patient and generous and and good to all. But here in verse 28, we need to be clear. The extraordinary idea is God shapes all events in the lives of Christians for our good. Which means our second question must be, so what? definition of good are we working from at this point Paul have a look in at verse 29 to 30 and I think we get some clarity on that we'll be there in depth in a moment but for now just note that God's good purpose for us is to be finally glorified finally in the image of Christ conformed to the likeness of Jesus with him and perfected By him forever. And as we'll see in a bit, our final glorification, our ultimate good is not in doubt. It's it's like the escalator that you just can't get off. There's an inevitability to it. And God is using all of life, all of the universe, for us to reach that final glorified state. Ah to the suspicious among us, the cynic. That sounds like a classic parental letdown, doesn't it? You thought they meant one thing, but actually, ha-ha, they meant something else. Someone once said to me, it was a bit like going to McDonald's, and he said, don't worry kids, you go sit down, I'll bring the food over. And they sit down, and rather than the kids' club meal and the McFlurry and the milkshake that they were expecting, what do they get? Bag of apples and a side cell in a water. Declaring with triumph, this is for your greater good, kids. You will thank me in the future. As if. I don't think Paul is quite that harsh. But I do think perhaps we need to have a rethink of what we mean by good. What our definition of good is. I wonder if very often in life... What we immediately desire is not actually what is ultimately good for us. Or even often, what is not good for us. Why? Well, because of weeks two and three. Because the selfish self can be persuasive still. Because the me-me monster is still very noisy and we still listen. and, And we think we know what good means, but we're working from the old definition Perhaps what we, what we really mean is comfort. But what God really means is to be with and like Christ. And God is much more concerned with our Christ-likeness than with our comfort. I'll say that again because I think that's hard, but I think it's important. God is more concerned with our Christ-likeness than with our comfort. There's a famous Puritan, um, Richard Sibbs, who some of you will have read or heard of. He says says this about this idea. He says, whatever is good for God's children, they shall have it. For all is theirs to further them to heaven. If crosses be good, then they shall have them. If disgrace
1: be good, they shall have it. For all is theirs to further their main good. But sometimes our tastes need to be re-educated. Because God is not
0: in the business of satisfying our often childish, foolish, self destructive appetites. He's got a much more important, satisfying agenda for us. His business, His purpose is to shape you into the person you were made to be the likeness of His Son, that final glorification. And friends, that is no letdown or disillusionment or cop-out or or the parental switch. No, the, the letdown is the McFlurry and milkshakes, the things we think we need. But God is playing the long game. God is intent on giving us the the experiences, the situations, to grow us into the beautiful people he created us to be, into the likeness of his Son. I mean, think about Christ for a moment. Think about Jesus. Think about the one, the the most appealing person who ever lived, the wisest person, the, the most loving person, the most influential person, the person with the greatest joy, such that he could face even his own death and scorn it compared to the joy set before him modern Road, it is no letdown or second best to be finally shaped into the likeness of Jesus. Which means whatever we're going through, we, we can have a humble confidence that God is sovereign and he is at work. It really is in all things that he is at work. His plan is unstoppable. We saw it last week, the groaning And Jill's groaning with the shoulder, the the groaning of creation, the groaning of the church, the groaning indeed of God's spirit within us, looking at our present existence. We see the hardship is real, we know that it is real.
1: But God is at work. Again and again and again,
0: the Bible shows us that evil is present, that it's powerful, that it's painful, that even it's confusing. But it can never escape God's good, sovereign control. God, in his wisdom, doesn't remove the evilness of evil from the people who love him. but He restrains it, he limits it, but he uses it for our good, for his bigger purposes in our lives. It, it
1: chisels us and chips away at us and it moulds us. I wonder if you had the proverbial genie in the
0: lamp and you could have something taken away from your life, what would you choose? What thing would you remove? What person would you remove? What situation? What anxiety? I don't
1: know what you're going through. What experience would you remove? Well, know
0: that in his sovereign plans and purposes, God is using that thing
1: to shape you, to work in and through you. If you um, know your Bibles there, I think there are two
0: big examples. I think we've looked at them before at Mordom Road, but I'm happy to go through again. Um, two big examples of of, of this idea And God uses it to to shape our perspective and our understanding. Um, Two big stories, if you like, where you see God at work in the mess. In one sense, it's the whole story, isn't it? But particularly, I think, you see it in Joseph at the end of Genesis. Remember the story of Joseph? To be fair, he was a bit annoying. When the story begins, you think, I'm not sure I'd be friends with you. He is hated by his brothers, they go a bit over the top. They nearly murder him. They then sell him to Egypt um, into slavery. And then there's an injustice, do you remember? And followed by years, decades in prison. And those things are bad and they are unfair and they are undeserved. But at, you know, at the end, you get this glimpse into what God was doing. And we might expect Joseph to say something like, Well, for a while, evil was overpowering me. But then at the end, God came through. He always does. But he doesn't say that. He says to the brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. God intended it that those very events that were going on, evil though they were, the brothers were evil, it was wrong, but God intended to use them for his good plan. He had woven even these wrong things, these evil things, into something good. So there's one big example, Joseph. The other, of course, is there we go jesus the bible is clear that the death of jesus on the cross was bad it was an evil act committed by evil people for evil purposes but actually it was the central piece of god's plan to save us we've sung about it already this morning it was the best thing ever that happened in history and we've looked at Acts 4 before um, about this a number of times, but the disciples pray afterwards and they say, it's just a few weeks after, they say, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. They're praying to the Lord, whom you anointed. They did what your power and
1: will had decided beforehand should happen. You see, it was wrong, but God intended it for
0: good. And it's as if God is some miraculous musical composer. And you've got these nasty, jarring discords of life. and The things, the people, the experiences, the stuff you just hate in your life. You long for them to be gone, and it's amazing. He, he somehow shapes them into this beautiful symphony for our ultimate good. Or it's the extraordinary artist, with the palette and the most disgusting colours you can imagine, the browns and the greys, and and yet he applies them to the canvas and it's, it's beautiful. Somehow there slowly appears to be a magnificent masterpiece, working out his plans, his purposes, in, through, despite the mucky mess of your life and of my life. Of course, our problem, and it may be, The problem for some of us this morning is that the mucky mess of our lives, it can be so painful, it's so hard to trust Him. We can lose sight of the reality from where we are, from where we're sitting. It feels like discords, it feels ugly. It looks like a mess on a canvas with no real shape or beauty or anything. And yet you've got no
1: idea what God is up to. Perhaps a couple of thoughts to help us at that point. Number one might be
0: patience. Patience. It's easy to say it, but it's hard to do it. Joseph's revelation wasn't overnight. He wasn't lying in jail thinking, God is beautifully working out his plans at this point. Now, even Jesus on the cross, Jesus knew why he was dying, said, my God, my God, why? There will be confusing aspects, trials that we go through, probably even to the ends of our days. One, patience. Two, perspective. That is, sometimes we need the bigger perspective to understand something of what God might be doing through his purposes, through his good purposes. Taking a step back from the immediate. We won't always have that, but at times I think he gives us glimpses. I've mentioned before the story of Jim Elliott young missionary with a number of friends went to the um, Orca Indians in Ecuador in 1956, um, and they were murdered, you may know the story. And you may look at that and think, well, that's just a tragic victory of evil over good. But it's striking, as you look at the, the evidence in the years to come, it seems largely as a result of this story that numbers for missionary service tripled the Orca Indians were reached, and indeed they became a, a tribe who would send others to other tribes. Or indeed his, his wife, who you may have heard of, Elizabeth Elliot, who writes books. I mean, she's written books to help millions of people. An example, she says, For God has a lot up his sleeve that you and I haven't the slightest idea about now. He's told us enough so that we know suffering is never for nothing.
1: I wonder, do you think Jim Elliot in glory sees his death as a tragedy? I wonder sometimes
0: whether our issue is we listen too much to the selfish self, to the the comfort, the the me-me monster. We want the different good. We want the McFlurry and the milkshake, please. We demand that evil, that bad things, that bad people, bad situations, experiences be removed. We don't like the chisel. As God shapes us towards that final glorification and beautiful Christ likeness,
1: maybe we don't trust God. We don't trust that He knows what He's doing because it's too painful.
0: And yet, verse 28 says to us God is good. And I recognize that is hard for some of us to accept. I know something of the stories in this room, which means you will doubt that or you will struggle with that. You will wrestle with that. And yet it's the clear message of the Bible again and again and again. God says, trust me, please trust me. Much more briefly, in verse 29 to 30, God will get us home. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. How do we know God will get his children home? Well, he's good, we've seen that. But more than that, there's this chain of five links which are forged together to the next one. Do you see them there? They are for new, predestined, called, justified, glorified. For new, predestined, called, justified, glorified. This is God's plan. And I wonder if part of our problem is our plans often don't work. Human plans are very uncertain things. Why? Because so much is out of control and we can't control the situation. That's just it. Even just imagine planning a meeting in Kidlington. Let's pick somewhere. And you've got to be at a certain place at a certain time. And a whole number of things need to happen for you to get to that meeting, for your plan to come off. Maybe you run out of petrol. Maybe there is a crash on the A34, as there always seems to be. And you sit there hopeless and you miss the meeting. And despite all your plans and purposes, it didn't work because we are not powerful. Which is just a trivial example, but how much less do we control the big picture direction of our lives, our own stories? Our plans are often no more than uncertain intentions, but God's plan is different. If God plans that he will do something, we know that he will, number one, because he doesn't change his mind, and number two, because he is in control. He is powerful. And so if God tells us his plan is to, for believers to be like Jesus and that we will be with him in glory for all eternity, then that's his plan. That is what will happen. And the work that God begins, he completes. He's not the cowboy builder who runs off. That is his plan. I'm aware that these verses are, Paul writes them, I think, to give us assurance and confidence. But maybe we leave with confusion and what ifs. For now, just try and see why Paul wants us to be assured just try and start out with the stance of seeing why paul wants to give us confidence how he gives us confidence firstly he foreknew his people there's a similar idea in ephesians 1 4 where paul says it was before the beginning of the world before the creation of the world that god foreknew his people and it might blow our minds or sound a little bit like a christian slogan on a cat poster or a tea towel but we can legitimately say when god christian when god decided to create the universe. He
1: had you in mind. And for God to know people,
0: God knowing people is more than just passing an exam on you. Although he could. Now this idea of knowledge is the idea of watching over, of caring for and using his, his knowledge of the future, he, he predestined us. That is, he made sure that his great plan for us to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus would be watertight. And so he ordained that we should hear the gospel. You know, that person in your life, that family member, that camp leader, that friend, that colleague, whoever it was, spoke of Jesus to you because those he predestined, he called
1: to say he predestined us doesn't mean we should just think, well, I can do whatever I want.
0: As one person put it, it's not a bed of ease for sinful self-indulgence. It's an encouragement for personal transformation. Remember the context of the chapter so far. We are in Christ. We are not condemned. We've changed families. We say no to the selfish self. We are new people. And so we're to chase after the Christ-likeness that our Father has called us to, rather than using it as an excuse for... Doing whatever we want to do. For those he predestined, he called. And by calling the Bible, it's not so much the, the call that you can ignore, the phone call that you can blank, the person on the street who shouts across to you and you just snub them because you've not got the time or the inclination.
1: No, God's call is unignorable. Again, it might raise questions. Maybe you are a Christian,
0: you're one who has put your hope in Christ and you've trusted him and you might have felt at that point, you remember a particular point when you trusted him and you were were reaching out to find God, you were returning to him and you may have struggled to do so but have a listen to um, something from a man named Ray Ortland on this. It's very helpful. He said, Paul sees beyond your choice of God. He is explaining that God was calling you. He continues, how else can we explain the fact that we, self-excusing, evasive sinners, finally admitted, everything in my whole life has been skewed. I've been wrong all my life. God is better qualified to run my life and prepare eternity than I am. How does the self-flattering human heart come to that admission, he says? Well, it's because God called us. He woke us up. And so when Paul speaks of God calling us, it's, It's overwhelmingly, it's compellingly, it's summoning us irresistibly. And so he ordained that we should hear the gospel as he called you to himself.
1: And those he called he also justified. Because he loves sinners.
0: He loves people like us who who walk out on him and who wander off. And because he loves us, whatever the cost, he he takes us and he makes us right with him. He takes away our condemnation, verse 1. He takes away our enmity to him. And because we heard his call, we couldn't do anything else. We, We had to trust Christ and follow. He caught us, he captivated us.
1: And so we were made right with God, we were justified.
0: I find it striking in verse 30 that there's no mention of faith. Do you notice that? I think we'd kind of expect there to be, wouldn't we? Particularly if you're a Romans boff. You know Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is faith missing here in Romans 8, Paul? Are you being a bit sloppy? I think is that he wants us to lift our eyes to see wave after wave after wave of God's loving kindness and initiative towards us, his his purposes. Our, Our faith does not qualify us for justification or for any of this. Faith is merely the empty hand that receives the gift of justification.
1: He wants us to be assured And then Paul completes the chain, as if it were already completed.
0: Those he justified, he also glorified. That, that final conformity into the likeness of Jesus, the, the top of the escalator, the certainty. It's as if this, this, is, this last link is already completed, Paul wants us to know that our resurrection glory is assured. The connection between justification and glorification is unbreakable, says Paul. In fact, so much so that he uses the past tense for the future reality. It's a done deal. God's plans are good and certain and we can trust him. And so what he's saying is, Paul is showing us this enormous stage, the sweep of God's loving plans and purposes from eternity past to eternity future. And he says, if God is guiding his eternal plan for our glory, verse 29 to 30.
1: Then maybe he's guiding our daily experiences for our good. Verse 28. It means when we lie in bed doubting it all.
0: Doubting whether we can really trust him, whether we really can. Paul says, God is good and God will get you home. If he's got the great, big, glorious picture of salvation in his hands, well, he's got the messy little picture of our lives in his hands too.
1: You can trust him, says Paul. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we can find these verses
0: complicated. That they raise questions in us, questions of theology, questions of
1: practice in daily life. And so we pray that you would help us to trust you. Lord, in the reality of the mess, help us to trust you.
0: When we are lacking assurance, when we are lacking confidence, even that you are good or you will get us home, help us to trust you. We don't simply want a better understanding of these verses. We... We want to know you better as a result of them and to trust you. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that you'll get us home. Thank you that your plans always come to fruition.
1: Amen.